So Sunday after Sunday, for years now, we have professed our faith together as we just did, aloud by reciting the Apostles' Creed together. The earliest form of this creed goes back as far as the third century AD in Rome. The version that we have translated into English was essentially finalized in the ninth century AD. And it wasn't actually written by the original 12 disciples, but in Latin it has 12 articles of belief and was felt to accurately summarize the essential beliefs of the original disciples. So it has been known as the Apostles' Creed from very early on. Many of you have noticed and asked me about uh, the English translation that we use because it contains some rather archaic words. The classic example of this is the line, from thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. Part of the reason that I like that translation is because it reminds us that this is not something that we ourselves made up on our own and wrote out. This is an ancient creed that has been learned and professed by followers of Christ across centuries and across continents. It was originally created to help teach people new to the story of Jesus, especially what followers of Jesus believe. Early on, of course, Christianity, the following of Jesus as the Son of God, was a strange new religion. People wanted to know and needed to know what it was that Jesus believed and Jesus taught and what his followers believed and taught. And many churches that go by many different names or designations continue to this day to rely on this creed to help teach the basic beliefs that unite Christians all over the world. We in this congregation feel this creed is so important that it is only after we have all professed this together allowed that we have the kids go off for their own focused time because this unites all of us. This is the center of our faith. Of course, the problem with repeating this creed word for word every Sunday is that it can become mere recitation. Reciting the sounds of the words and the phrases, but the meaning of of what those words represent can fade into emptiness. From time to time, it becomes important for us to slow down, to spend time with each phrase, if not each word in this creed, in order that the life and the spirit within these beliefs fills back in. For, as we learn from this very first phrase we say, to proclaim we believe in the ideas expressed 
within this creed means far more than even that we know what they mean. To proclaim, I believe in God, commits us fully to an entire way of being. Now, similarly to our study of Scripture and our our hearing of God through the Scriptures themselves, looking back at the original language of the creed can open us to a wealth of understanding. Within this very first phrase, I believe in God, we gain two very significant insights by doing this, looking at the original Latin. In the original Latin, the very first two words of our English translation are one word, one compound word, credo. Those who originally recited this creed would have begun by saying, credo en Deus. And you can hear in credo a little bit of why we even now call this writing a creed. It became a short way to refer to this whole collection of things that we believe rather than saying credo and deus, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, every time we wanted to talk about it. Given the way human beings are, we just shortened it to credo. You know that thing. And English being what it is, it has now become creed. I don't know where the E came from, but why we don't say it cred, uh, but it is a, a creed in our language now. But even that word credo itself is a compound of, of two Latin words, core, which means heart, and do, which means I give. The Benedictine monk, Brother David Steendahl Rast, lets us know that a more literal translation is then, I give my heart. I give my heart. And we now begin to get an idea of the fullness of the commitment this draws us toward. It's not mere intellectual assent. It involves our heart also, our being. I give my heart. The next word in the original Latin is the little preposition and, and this was where, as a former English major, I get to geek out. The, the little preposition n in Latin, which is in in English. This time, Richard Norris, an emeritus professor from Union Theological Seminary in New York, provides us insight. He puts it this way. That Latin preposition, which we translate in, When followed by a noun in the accusative sense, see, I told you this is going to be English English major geek time, but when followed by a noun in the accusative case normally implies motion into or toward, motion toward whatever it is the noun in question designates. So we are saying, I believe into God. We get a sense of this even in the English. When we slow down enough to say each word of this creed separately and think of its meaning, this preposition, this tiny little world is is quite 
word is quite striking. I believe in God. I believe in, not I believe at. I, I believe with. I believe of God. No, we say I believe in God. So taking just that little bit of translation altogether, we come up with something along the lines of, I give the fullness of who I am into God. Two of our scriptures this morning remind us that this wholehearted commitment into the life of God is exactly what God desires from us as human beings. In that Hebrew First Testament reading, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. Both love and believe are verbs in this case. Believe in God, love God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your strength, with all of who you are, essentially. And then Jesus says to his disciples when he's basically sending them out to be his representatives, go disciple all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And that's just one name, but into the name of, into the, the life of all that that name represents, baptize, disciple, and, and baptize people into that, the fullness of who they are. Again, this is why it is so important for us to make sure that we aren't mindlessly repeating the words of the Apostles' Creed. Because we begin by saying, essentially, all these other things that I'm about to say reveal what I am pouring the fullness of my being into. And the first thing we proclaim to pour our life into is God. This is where we really need to slow down this morning. More than even merely contemplating what this word God means, we more likely need to have our minds completely blown open. It is so easy for us to allow ourselves to use this word God as if it's a dog on a leash that we have control over. We use it so often every Sunday morning that we most often feel like we know what we mean when we say it. And we have to have language for this. We have to have language that alludes to some sort of greater being or reality that is behind the letters and the words that they form, God. But we also have to be honest and remember that we have almost no clue of what we are speaking. And certainly we have no control over it. Listen again to the way Paul says it to these folks gathered around the Areopagus in the Areopagus uh, talking about philosophical things. And how I noticed how 
religious and spiritual you are that you even have uh, this altar to an unknown God just to cover all the bases. Well, let me tell you about this God I think you worship. God who made the world and everything in it, the Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples built by hands and God is not served by human hands as if God needed anything because God himself or herself gives all humans life and breath and everything else. God gives everything else. From one person, God made every nation that they should inhabit the whole earth and determine everything about their times and places. And God did this so that humans would seek God and perhaps reach out to find God, even though God is not far from each one of us. In fact, that triggers in Paul's mind, because in God we live, in God we move, in God we have our being. We are, Paul is saying, completely immersed in the, the words are, don't work, in this entity, in this being, in this existence that we call God. Everything we know, everything we see and touch and feel and hear, everything we imagine in our minds, everything we experience is all contained within God. Or the other way around, God is more than even everything that we know or see or imagine or experience. One of my favorite descriptions of the immensity that lies beyond the small confines of our word God comes from the writer Frederick Beekner. In one of his memoirs, The Sacred Journey, he describes an experience that he had when he was a uh, teenager and was sitting um, on a little uh, wall uh, with a, a teenage girl um, on this island uh, or in this New England seaside town in the summer. He writes, One day at dusk, we were sitting side by side on a crumbling stone wall watching the salt kettle fairies come and go when our bare knees happened to touch for a moment. And in that moment, I was filled with such a sweet panic and anguish of longing for I had no idea what, that I knew my life could never be complete until I found it. Difference of sex no more we knew than our guardian angels do, as John Dunn wrote. And in the ordinary sense of the word, no love could have been less erotic. But it was the heavenly eros in all its glory nonetheless. There's no question about that. It was the upward reaching and fathomlessly hungering, heartbreaking love for the beauty of the world at its most beautiful and beyond that, 
For that beauty east of the sun and west of the moon, which is past the reach of all but our most desperate desiring, and is finally the beauty of beauty itself, of being itself, and what lies at the heart of being. Love that. The heartbreaking love for the beauty of the world at its most beautiful, and beyond that for the beauty east of the sun and west of the moon, which is past the reach of all but our most desperate desiring and is finally the beauty of beauty itself, of being itself and what lies at the heart of being. It is that that all of us are longing for. It is that that this puny little word God is trying to communicate. The beauty of beauty itself of being itself and what lies at the heart of being. And we are saying it is into this which we pour the fullness of our heart, our soul, and our strength. In the weeks ahead, as we look at the rest of the Apostles' Creed, we will gain some clarity for aspects of the God we believe in, mostly because we believe that Jesus came to earth in part to provide the world with some clarity about God. But for this morning, I want us left with our beings staggered by the immensity of what we call God. It's healthy for us to be reminded of the wildness we profess to believe every Sunday. To say, I believe in God is far more than giving assent to an intellectual idea. It is a giving of ourselves into the mystery of something greater than we can comprehend. I'll close with a little scene that Brother Steendahl Rasp creates. When he was writing about this opening phrase, he says, let me express this in a somewhat whimsical image. Little X enters into a little church. Perfect for our setting, right? Little X enters into a little church. All perfectly harmless and uneventful. But then comes the time to recite the creed. And little X says, I believe in God. Suddenly, for eyes focused on a deeper reality, roof and steeple of the church fly off. The walls crumble. Time and space are suspended. This is what we believe. Thanks be to God.